Let's turn our hearts and our minds to this morning's message. One of the great joys for me as a father has been the process of teaching my children to pray. We've gone from the kids just listening as Kathy and I pray, to them repeating prayers word for word as they learn to talk, to them saying simple prayers before mealtime and bedtime, and now as our kids get older to more in-depth and thoughtful prayers. It's exciting to see your child grow in the ability to articulate things that matter to them and that matter to our Heavenly Father. I hope today's sermon will help you grow in love and connection with God through prayer as Jesus taught. So as we turn to the preaching of God's Word this morning, if you have your Bible with you, please open it to Matthew chapter 6. This morning will be in verses 5 through 15. As you're turning to Matthew 6, 5 through 15, let's set up some literary context to get ourselves situated in the text. Our verses this morning fall within the larger context where Jesus is teaching about the religious practices of those who follow him. Finished is chapter 5, where Jesus placed emphasis on showing kindness, honesty, and love to others. In much of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus turns his focus to the religious practices of his people. Just prior to our verses this morning, Jesus spoke about giving alms to the poor. This morning we will settle in and explore what Jesus has to say about prayer. And as we do, I want to start by asking the question, why is prayer so hard for many of us? I think prayer is hard for many of us because many of us don't know how to think rightly about prayer, and so we end up not praying. We believe in the means of grace, word, prayer, and sacrament to strengthen our faith in his promises, and we believe in a God who is sovereign over all things and yet wants us to pray. So while we may know these things are true, and they are, we still struggle. For some, we know we should pray, but aren't sure how to do it. So it's an issue of ignorance and process. For others, we've prayed for things and it didn't turn out the way we prayed. So we don't trust that prayer really works. Or we aren't really sure God is even listening, or worse, that he even wants to hear from us. Some of us struggle with God's sovereignty and our personal agency And so we aren't sure that our prayers are worthwhile since God already has everything figured out. Some of us struggle to pray because we feel ashamed because we know we're supposed to pray and we don't. Or we're ashamed that we don't pray more. Or, if we're honest, many of us struggle because we lose our focus in praying and end up making grocery lists or just writing a quick text or an email or some other tangent that distracts us from the task at hand. It's no wonder that many of our prayer lives look anemic and non-existent. It's as we struggle to pray and often in the shame that results from that struggle, we end up thinking that God is disappointed in us or angry with us or we're afraid he's going to punish us. In the end, because the struggle becomes so overwhelming, we throw up our hands And we give up. In our time together today, I want to attempt to reframe how we think about prayer. 
And more importantly, to remind us who God is and what he's like. My plan is to state three reasons why God, uh, why many don't pray, but in so doing to let Jesus teach us how to think about prayer and how to put prayer into practice. So first, I'll define prayer. Secondly, we'll see how Jesus reveals who God is as it pertains to prayer. And third, we'll have Jesus tell us what things to be praying about. I believe that being taught or reminded of these things will free us up not only to pray, but be excited about prayer and to begin to live with prayerful dependence on God. But before we do, let's read God's word together and pray. Our scripture this morning is Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in verse 5. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But you, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Hello, Father. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Point number one, we don't pray because we don't know what prayer really is. So what is prayer? I like definitions. I think they help us to know what we're talking about and to bring focus to the task at hand. According to the pocket dictionary of the Reformed tradition, yes, that book exists, prayer as they define it, is the activity of bringing all our desires and thanksgiving to God with full humility and submission to his will, confident that God will hear and respond. Again, for those taking notes, prayer is the activity of bringing all our desires and thanksgiving to God with full humility and submission to his will, confident that God will hear and respond. So prayer is simply speaking with God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit about everything that's going on in our lives. It is speaking to Him about our hopes and our dreams and our desires. It's where we speak to Him about things that matter to us most. It's thanking Him for who He is, for all He's done, is doing, and will do in the future. It's where we confidently ask him for things as we come to him with a humble heart, knowing that he knows best and where he will act according to his will 
and for our good. With that in mind, prayer becomes an incredibly intimate act between us and God. As such, this intimate act of us bearing our entire selves to God is why Jesus speaks as he does in verses 5 through 7. Let's look at verses 5 through 7 and see two warnings Jesus gives that destroy the intimacy that Jesus is after when we pray. Verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Jesus' first warning about prayer is in verse 5. Don't be distracted by the desire for affirmation from others. Don't be like the hypocrites who act like actors who put on a mask to be someone they aren't and speak in such a way to impress others. Don't find all the prominent places in town and at church in order to be seen and heard by others so, so that they wow over you. Prayer isn't a tool we use to leverage the favor and affirmation of others, but an opportunity to spend focused time with God. The reward God's people are to be about and to be after is deep intimacy with God, not the affirmation and applause of those around us. Jesus' second warning is found in verse 7. Prayer is not to be used like those who thought that mindless words and meaningless phrases used over and over again in a stammering or babbling type fashion is what God is after. He's not. He's not enamored with our formulas. He can't be manipulated to act if we use a wide range of theological vocabulary and just the right words and phrases. God is not a vending machine where we put in the right stuff and we get whatever we want or a vault we can open if we just somehow find and crack the code. He's not impressed with our many mindless words and religious sounding prayers. In these verses, Jesus brings the motives of both of these types of prayers to light. Their motive is pride, and their ultimate desire is to be seen by others and to receive applause. This is why verse 6 frames prayer so deeply personal, so incredibly private, and is entirely focused on spending time with God, away from the distractions of life and the temptations towards the human affirmation for which we long. The reason for the stealing away privately is to pray, not because Jesus disagrees with corporate prayer or that public prayers are bad. Instead, what Jesus is doing here is he wants to ensure our motives are right when we come to him in prayer. God cares more about what's going on in our hearts than he cares about the specific words or the number of words or the length of time taken to speak to him. Okay, let's reset. What is prayer? Prayer is bringing all our desires and thanksgiving to God with full humility and submission to his will, confident that God will hear and respond. It is deeply personal, incredibly private, and seeks to spend undistracted time with God. And it is done properly when both our hearts and our minds are fully engaged. Yet an aspect of the definition of prayer that we have hasn't addressed the idea that we are confident that God will hear and respond. 
What is it about God's character that makes us confident that he will both hear and respond when we pray? This leads us to our second question. What is this God like to whom we pray? Point number two. We don't pray because we don't know what God is like. So what does Jesus reveal about God that leads us to pray with confidence that he not only hears but also responds when we pray? First, God is incredibly relational. We see Jesus speak of God as Father six times in verses 6 through 15. The word Matthew uses for Father could be like a child today calling their dad, Daddy. Calling God Daddy was virtually unheard of in Jesus' day. Jesus is doing something intentional here. He wants his disciples to think about God as just as approachable and available as the most loving parent is with their children. God desires those who are his to pray to him with the assurance that he is both approachable and he's available. And wanting relationship with his kids, God's posture towards us as we pray is like the good earthly father whose children run to him and share about what's on their mind. God listens. God responds. And he delights in giving the time and attention his children need and hunger for. This is who God is. He is incredibly relational. Second, God really knows us. We see this in verse 8. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So some may read this and say, See, Isaac, here's the proof that we don't need to pray. Praying is really pointless. After all, God knows whatever we need before we ask. The point Jesus is making is that God doesn't choose to listen to us when we pray using lots of words or religious-sounding phrases. He's not moved to action because of our well-thought-out and wise-sounding articulations. God is moved by his love for us and does things for us because he knows us so well. Listen to Pastor Kevin DeYoung's take on why we pray when God already knows everything before we ask. Here's what Pastor DeYoung says. First, why does God want us to pray? That's not a dumb question. If God is sovereign such that everything comes to us from his fatherly hand, why would we even need to pray? Doesn't God have everything figured out already? He continues, well, we don't pray because God needs help running the universe. We don't pray to change God's mind. We pray out of gratitude. We talk to God to praise him for all the good he has done for us. We talk to him because we are privileged to belong to him. Imagine you got down on your knee and proposed to a special young lady. You know she's way out of your league, but amazingly enough, she says yes. But then after you get married, you never talk to her again. Such silence would be evidence of profound ingratitude and a heart grown cold. We talk to those we love. DeYoung continues, We also pray because God has ordained means to accomplish his ends. He gives more grace to those who petition him for it. He grants more of his spirit to those who long for him. Sure, God could accomplish his purposes without prayer, but when we pray, we are reminded of our dependence on God. If we ask not, we will have not. If we rely on ourselves, God will leave us to ourselves. God doesn't need prayer, but he uses prayer just like he uses other means. He uses rain to grow the crops. 
sun to warm the earth, and food to strengthen the body. So why can't God choose our prayers to do his sovereign work? The third part of who God is, God is all-powerful. Look with me in verses 10 through 13. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God is advancing his kingdom and restoring it from Satan's destructive dominion. God's power defeats Satan. It is Christ's finished work from his humiliation to his exaltation that establishes God's kingdom as an unstoppable force that will be fully realized when Christ finally returns and makes all things new and right. That's when all satanic forces, as well as humanity's hunger for sin and rebellion, will be overcome by the greatness of Christ and the eternal establishment of his kingdom. Along with his power over the dominion of Satan, God exercises his power in providing for every need of his kids, all the way down to supplying the food we consume each day. He does this because he acts out of his love and uses his power to show tangible love and care for those who are his. Time for another reset. We started out this morning and we defined prayer. We just looked at how we're able to really be confident that God not only hears our prayers but responds to them. And we found out that God is incredibly relational. He really knows us and he's all-powerful. So now let's move on to the third question. We don't pray because we don't know what we should be praying about. So what should we be praying about? Look with me in verses 9 through 10. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. While Jesus gives us specific wording on what we can say when we pray, this prayer also serves as a topical outline for specific areas we should be praying about. In verses 9 through 10, Jesus makes it clear that the Christian's greatest concern when seeking God through prayer is praying about things that God is most concerned with, namely his name, his rule, and his reign. So in verse 9, when we pray, hallowed be your name, our deep desire is that God's name would be treated holy everywhere, that in our own lives, that it would reflect God's greatness to the world that our churches would be places where his name is praised and talked about and seen. What we care deeply about as we seek God in prayer is for God to show the world how great he is in all things everywhere. Then, in verse 10, when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what we're praying for is that God's kingdom will always be brought into tangible expression and that his will and purposes be accomplished here on earth like they currently are in heaven. What we're praying then is that we want earth to reflect what life is like right now in heaven. So the first things we pray about are all about God and his priorities. Now look with me in verses 11 through 15. Our second priority when, uh, in what things to pray about is our concerns. Picking up in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus begins here by telling us to pray for our material needs, specifically our food. What a great reminder to many of us who live so comfortably that our daily provision of food isn't primarily the result of our hard work, but it comes by God's benevolent providence. So when we begin to pray for our own needs, Jesus wants us to seek the things that we really and truly need. Next, in verse 12, Jesus says we're to pray for our spiritual needs. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Due to our sin, we have become debtors to God. And since we are indebted to him, he is the only one able to forgive the debt that we owe. It is only as our indebtedness has been forgiven, when we believe in Jesus through placing our faith in him, that our relationship with God is reconciled. And note how verses 14 and 15 enlighten our understanding, the second half of verse 12 where we're asking that our debts be forgiven as also we have forgiven our debtors. According to Jesus in verses 14 and 15, the evidence that we have experienced Christ reconciling forgiveness and cancellation of our indebtedness is that we forgive others. So when we pray, we are deeply concerned with confessing our sins to the Lord and seeking the forgiveness of those sins through Jesus. The last thing we pray about when praying about the things that matter to us is the deliverance from evil and Satan. Because of our sin, and because Satan is so powerful, we need help. We need help and a way out when temptation is before us, and our appetite for sin seems overpowering. We need deliverance when Satan and his army of demons have put a full court press on us, using their evil schemes and flaming darts to bring about our destruction. We pray for this deliverance because in the words of Ephesians 6.12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We need help in the spiritual battle that wages around us all the time, and Jesus says we're to pray for it. And our help comes from the only one who loves us deeply and is actually powerful enough to bring us deliverance and salvation. We pray to him to deliver us because he can, and he's promised to protect those who are his. This is why we pray to God to intervene when the temptation to sin overwhelms us and when we need to be rescued from Satan. It's not just that we needed deliverance when we originally embraced Jesus from the heart. We need his intervention and deliverance every day. Okay, so now we know what prayer is. We know more about God as our Heavenly Father. We know what things we're to be praying about. We've looked at some of the reasons we don't pray, and we've seen how God empowers us to pray when we let Jesus' teaching reframe our understanding of what prayer is. Let's end our time together with a couple things to remember as we engage in prayer. This is where we land the plane. Four things. First, God loves you deeply. Friends, when it comes to dealing with our struggles to pray, we need to remember that our Heavenly Father loves us deeply. Believing this, we can bring all our desires and thanksgivings to Him. Fully trusting in His love for us, we can be humble before Him. 
knowing that as we submit our will to his, he will not only hear us, but will act for his glory and for our good. For proof that he acts for his glory and our good, we have to look no further than Jesus' incarnation when he came to earth in order to suffer death, to make payment for our sin, and rise again in order to see the deep love he has for us. So pray, because God loves you deeply. Second, God takes special interest in you. He does this because you are his. Brothers and sisters, God takes special interest in you. He delights in you. He sees you and watches over you for your safety. He wants to celebrate you with you when you overcome something or when you set out in faith in something new. He wants to comfort you when you experience the hardships of living in a broken world. And he wants to teach you how to live so that you flourish and experience the good life as he defines it. Pray, knowing that you aren't a waste of God's time, but a child with whom he loves to spend time. God takes special interest in you. Third, God knows all your needs before you ask. I have four kids. I can tell by the way Eve walks when she's upset. I know when Esther is feeling silly by the look in her eye. I know when Hope is at a rough day at school by the way she acts when she gets home. And I know when Gideon is building up the courage to ask for something. How do I know all of this? Because they're my kids. And I love them. And I watch them. And I engage with them. And I do life with them. I know them so well that there are times when they say to me, Papa, how did you know? My response is, I love you. I just know. When it comes to our prayers, isn't it helpful to know that God knows us so well that he knows all of our needs before we even ask? So we don't need to be embarrassed or ashamed or think that our request might shock him or upset him. When we pray, our prayers don't need to come from a place of anxiety or uncertainty, but from a place of being fully known and loved, from a God who knows us better than we know ourselves and still loves us anyway. The fourth thing, God acts on your behalf by his supreme power. I think we have all become keenly aware over the past few years that this world is not as it should be. For many of us, COVID has exposed our sin and brokenness. From the news, we have seen that sin and evil are alive and well in this world. This is why it's such great news that God acts on our behalf by his supreme power. Friends, there is no other entity in heaven, on earth, or under the earth that can thwart God's plan to bring his sovereign rule and reign into tangible expression. So as we pray... Our struggles to pray can be overcome by embracing the truth that while God is working all things according to the counsel of his will, he also acts on our behalf to provide all that we need to bring about our forgiveness and reconciliation and to protect us and deliver us from Satan and his schemes. When it comes to our struggles to pray, I believe it's helpful to remember that our prayers matter to God. 
and that we don't have to argue God into acting on our behalf. We don't have to say the right thing in the right way for him to take notice and respond. Our God acts on our behalf by his supreme power. And as we seek his face, he reminds us with ever-deepening dependence and love for him that will last until he returns. So why do we pray? We pray because our Heavenly Father wants to hear from us since we are the children he loves. So as you go through your week, set, a time, uh, set aside time each day to spend time with the Lord. Pray about the things that matter most to him. And then pray about the things that matter most to you. God loves you, takes special interest in you, knows you intimately, and acts on your behalf. God calls us to pray. Jesus models for us what prayer is to look like. So let's engage in prayer this week as an opportunity to draw near to God through Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's do that now. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we have just spent some time thinking about prayer. Lord, most of us, me included, have feeble prayer lives. Lord, I think that as we learn to love you more and more, we want to spend time with you, to speak with you. Help us to live in the trust that you love us and that you want to hear from us and that you want us to be praying about things that matter to you and things that matter to us. Lord, we thank you that you speak to us through your word and that you teach us about what prayer is. You reveal who you are to us and you beckon us in your sovereignty to use our agency to pray for things, for people, and for loved ones. Lord, this year as we begin our new year, I pray that you would help us to exercise that prayer muscle, not merely out of obligation, but because of love for you and the desire to spend time with you. Lord, thank you that you love us. It's in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.